Welcome to Voices of the Valley, a series interviewing growers, entrepreneurs, educators, and technologists who are inventing new solutions for today's and tomorrow's challenges on the farm. Brought to you today by the Western Growers Association, supporting growers that grow the best medicine in the world. Find out more at WGA.com. Now here's your Voices of the Valley host, Director of Western Growers Center for Innovation and Technology, Dennis Donahue. This is Dennis Donahue from the uh, Western Growers Center of Innovation in uh, Salinas, and I'm joined once again by uh, my partner, Candace Wilson, and uh, we're back for another episode of Voices of the Valley. Candace, good to see you. Nice to see you too. Thank you. And we have a terrific and important guest. All of our guests are important, but not only is Greg Gatsky, the CEO and founder of Zaga Technical Services, important, he's timely because, you know, we're recording this while uh, a lot of things are going on in the world and cybersecurity is being mentioned uh, with frequency yet again. But I think uh, besides that, the, the reality is this has been an ongoing conversation and uh, Greg is also a, a sponsor of the center and uh, we appreciate that. But Greg, what you do right now is uh, top of mind for a lot of folks. But like I said, it, this is something obviously you've been involved with for, for a long time and has been an increasing concern to all industries. So I uh, thought it was a good time to uh, get with you and visit with you because one of the things Candace and I really think is important is, you know, we want to provide timely information, uh, you know, certainly for the general public if they're listening, but certainly for our uh, Western Grower members. And we know you spend a lot of time focused on our group. So uh, welcome and uh, thanks for taking the time to join us. We know you've got a lot going on right now. No, thank you, Dennis. I really appreciate it. It's unfortunate that this is a timely topic, but it's the reality we live in today. So, so I appreciate well, uh, well, and what I was struck by is, you know, it's a really timely topic, but, you know, half a year ago was a timely topic. And uh, this whole issue, and we'll get into the specifics, it's just going to be a new way of life, isn't it, from a business standpoint? It is. It's like everything else. And, you know, it, it's taken root. It's there and we don't see it going away. And let's kind of use that a little bit, because one of the things we like to do is have our, have our guests talk a little bit about their background, their career path, and how you got to where uh, where you are today and, uh, you know, founding and Zag and that, that sort of thing. And then I'll just kind of throw in, besides telling us about that, did you anticipate how critical your services were going to be when you got started with Zag? I mean, I, personal passion, you can see the need, but at what point did you pick up? There's really kind of a heightened sense of urgency about what you do. So we've seen it coming for quite a long time, both in security, but also, you know, obviously technology is becoming a bigger and bigger piece of, of everything we do in, in ag. And it is a solution for the, the massive problems that, that are coming, right? You know, population growth, things like that. And so we just see technology becoming a competitive advantage for the industry. And anytime you, you have that, you have to defend it. So security comes into play with it every step of the way. So we, yes, we have seen it coming. Okay, good. So how, how, how did you get into the game? So uh, classic thing, you know, always love technology. I actually grew up on a farm. So I grew up on a lettuce farm within Wisconsin. So we grew, uh, my family grew lettuce, uh, carrots, onions. You don't hear a lot about lettuce growing in Wisconsin anymore. We don't. And, you know, speaking from the perspective of the Salinas Valley, we don't like to hear a lot about lettuce because then we assume the homegrown deal is active. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they're no, not Western grower members. So, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah, we're delighted you grew up on a farm. Absolutely. Yeah. You got, you guys won that battle. We had a couple of years in the during the, the gas crunch back in the 70s, but you guys won that battle. So okay, okay. My, family, well, my family moved out of farming, but I, I grew up in it. I you know, drove tractor, did, did all the classic things that, that people do. Don't hire me to drive a forklift. That's the only thing I do. Okay, noted no, 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 no for the record, because there are a lot of openings, just FYI. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I've always loved technology. So um, came to Silicon Valley after college, 
uh, or after uh, working, I worked for McDonnell Douglas on a, a C-17, a military program for about five years, and then came to Silicon Valley to do technology and fell in love with it and just naturally gravitated back towards ag just because of, you know, the people are in ag are what I like, you know, you handshake, trust, you know, wanting to do right, kind of all those things. So that's kind of how we started. We've been around since 1998. We have offices in San Jose, Salinas, and uh, Boise, Idaho. Oh, okay. Well, and you know what I'm struck by is obviously there's some ma- major players, but uh, Zag has really uh, carved out a really nice niche as being a uh, essential part of an operation, uh, you know, because it's just hard to anticipate all the technical service needs uh, that are needed these days, I would think. So I would think your ability, to, besides all the technical prowess you represent, uh, the ability to kind of respond immediately to changing needs would be part of the value of your services. Yes, I agree with that 100%. We, we also, we understand the industry. We've been in it long enough. I've, I've been actively engaged in ag since um, 2005, 2006, that, that time frame. So we've got a lot of experience in it. We understand the industry. We understand the criticality. And, you know, in Silicon Valley, they like to say they run 24-7. Salinas obviously does, right? And it's real world. It's where we want to be. I would like to just better understand the the service that you offer from beginning to end and how any particular grower or customer will benefit from that sort of offering. Sure. So thank you. Uh, so we start at, if, if you think about it, we start at the help desk. We do server support. So the, the backend stuff, we do application development, we do project management. We do kind of, if, if you think of a large mid-market company's IT company, we can, or IT team, we can do everything they can do outside if we don't do ERP. So when we engage with a client, we'll do what they want us to do. Some people we do the help desk and we do almost everything. Others, we just do projects and or help them, you know, with break fix type things. We really fit to where the person wants to be. But that's kind of what we do. So a large company's IT company, we can do for anybody almost. Well, let's jump right in. You said, uh, you know, produce and ag is where you want to be. What sort of threats in general should the, the produce industry be be thinking about now? And, you know, and is it just hit or miss the big companies or should everybody be thinking about this big or small? You know, sure. So let me, start with, yep, let me start with that. Um, first of all, it's anybody. They're kind of spraying the attacks and they may spend more time with a larger company, but they're absolutely hitting everybody. Um, and I, I like to segment the, the attacks in three levels. The first is an ACH fraud. So that's where they try to get you to send money to posing as a supplier or, you know, and try to get you to send money to them instead. That is one that takes user training. It takes processes within inside the finance company or finance team to ensure that they don't just receive an email and change banking information and send product to the wrong place. So that's the number one. And we've seen attacks there go up, you know, from 50 to 200 plus thousand dollars in losses. The second one is probably what you hear more about in the in the news, and that is ransomware. That is where they come in, they get control of administrator rights on your network, and they essentially encrypt everything so that the servers aren't usable. And they say they'll give you a key if you'll pay them. So that's pro- that's the one you see, you know, in the news, and and that one is happening pretty regularly also. And then the third attack is when they come in and they do the ransomware before they actually encrypt everything and, and kind of let the bomb go, they take a bunch of data out. And this could include you know, personal identifiable information. It could include pricing for you. It could include anything that you don't want released. They'll take it out and they'll threaten to release it if you don't pay them. So that's kind of like an extortion play. So we're seeing those three attacks. 
So, you know, you spend a fair amount of time in this valley and, and this, this industry. And, you know, we, we just did an episode where we were talking about entrepreneurship and success. And uh, there was a hockey analogy where, you know, it was important for the entrepreneurs to take a lot of shots on goal, you know, and eventually you score and you get a win. Staying with that analogy, how many shots on goal are there in this valley? You know, there's a lot of companies here, suppliers, all facets of the supply chain, vendors, Take something like the Swing Sally or take the desert or, you know, Colorado is part of our, our world as well. How many shots on gold are there? Like so, how many cases a day or something? Yeah, how, how do you look at this? We see the attacks coming nonstop. The actual scoring. So we're personally involved in probably one every other month where someone's bringing us in saying, we've got an intrusion, help us either get them out or we've been attacked. So we're seeing things at the once every other month as success. And I'll tell you, the, the actual attacks are nonstop. I mean, multiple, multiple a day. Again, they're, they're doing the shotgun approach and just trying to, to get in. And then how do you get them out? So it depends, first of all, on when you identify their rent, right? So we have had success in getting them out. And there is a process that we'll follow to clean up the environment. And it's a, it's a scary thing that you engage in. But we'll, we've actually, I mean, let me say there, there is success, right? We have been able to do that. Afterwards, if they've encrypted everything, and so then you're just in a recovery, then at that point, you end up building up the systems, building it clean, restoring everything from backups or snapshots, and then getting the, the client back up. So it really depends on when they come in and what the circumstances are. I, I will say it's not all you know newsworthy stuff. It's getting them out and moving forward, but it can also be the other way. But in theory, you're also down here routinely to... Uh prevent or kind of create the firewalls so they don't get through that often where all of a sudden it becomes critical. Hey, we got to get Zag or, uh, you know, you're our favorites because you're our sponsor and all that fun stuff, but you are your counterparts. You're routinely helping people get, get that firewall up. And that's part of what you do as well. So it's, it sounds like it's just, what's, what's the checklist on the preventative side from, from your perspective, what should companies be thinking about? Yeah, so, so absolutely, um, the, be- the best thing is for them not to come in. Now, I'll also say that you always have to prepare for their success because they're always innovating. They're always trying to find new ways in, things like that. So to kind of go through a checklist, you know, just off the top of mind, right? I talked about the ACH fraud. That is having processes in place where you pick up the phone and call a known number saying, did you really change your bank before just making a change? And there's things like user education on email and, and how to understand when a, an email is valid and when it is not. There are things like putting in a good firewall, patching, having systems enabled so that you can get triggered on when criminals are there and get administrator rights. We can set that up so that you're notified. And we have what we call Zag standards. And there are about 250 of these that we've learned over the years. And, and uh, we just keep continually adding to those standards. So there's it's not a five thing thing. But it, it's multiple things that should be done. You should have MFA, you know, where you have to authorize that, that yes, I want a VPN in, or I want to get onto the network, or I want to get to my email, things like that. There's just a laundry list of things to do. But then ultimately, having a, a system that is a good backup and is not susceptible to an attack is probably the most critical thing, because then you can recover should any of those defenses fail. And, you know, let, let's face it. Massive government agencies that spend a lot of money on security have been taken down or have had criminals come in. So you always have to plan for their success, even as you work to, to try to keep them out. I have two questions. Let's start with the first one. Is there a particular size of an operation 
that they target. So, you know, if you start to be, uh, I'm going to throw a number out, $20 million company, or all of a sudden you getting more attacks or what does that look like? So I, I would say generically, no, there isn't really, they're attacking everybody. I just believe that the larger companies, they'll spend more time going in, trying to find data to take out. They'll spend more time doing the reconnaissance to make sure that they can really damage you, things like that. But every company is under attack. What I like to think though is, you know, your processors are the ones that, when you think about reliance on technology, the bigger you are, the more processing uh, you do, things like that, where you have SCADA systems and other things, you're more susceptible to the attack, right? So you're feeling the pain more is probably how I would phrase it more than whether they're targeting you more. Okay. And then how do you stay ahead of the attackers? Is there a way that you can anticipate um, what their tactic may be next? So um, that's actually a really great question. So we do a lot of things. Number one, we're, we're reading journals, we're researching. We're also in communities that are sharing the types of attacks. Um, but the other thing I'll say is we've gotten to a size within this community where we have enough clients that we tend to see the attacks come in. And what we'll do is we'll share it. So we believe in a better together so that if one client or one person is attacked, we hope and strive to that being the only one because now we've shored up the defenses for everyone else. And then we're also, we're routinely brought in by referrals. People will call, you know, whoever to say, hey, we're under attack and they'll bring us in. We'll take that then findings of, of how the attack played out and we'll roll it back to everybody else that we work with to kind of bring them up to speed. Greg, this is kind of a silly question, but who is they in terms of they are attacking us? Is there, just like you kind of laid out three- Bad guys, Dennis. Well, no, no, I know they're bad guys, but just, I mean, are there three major groups in particular, uh, you know, whether it's foreign countries or what, what does that they look like? So they are criminals. They're even bad guys to me is too soft. They're, they're criminals. They're coming after trying to you know, steal intellectual property. They're trying to steal money from us. They're trying to destroy us. They can be state-sponsored organizations. They can also be, they're, they're more often not in ag, I believe. They predominantly come from a couple of countries. They're the countries you read about in the news, you know, the China, the, the Russia, that, that's who they are. I'm just curious, like if there's an identification of the criminal, how do they get punished? Is it possible to have punishment? Yes, it, it is possible. Um, uh, the FBI has done some good work in tracing, you know, the, the money that has been paid. They've been able to track it down and actually recoup some of it and bring it back. You also, if you if you follow the news, there are people being punished, but it's it's not to the level of the crimes. They're kind of token punishments almost. Let's kind of move all this into the impact on the marketplace. Uh, just kind of some general thoughts. Uh, and I don't know if this is a chicken or egg. Obviously, supply chain, food, big categories, important. So is the fresh produce industry a particular target or perceived as more attractive? Or, is it, or does it just kind of get into the general mix of all things food and then supply chain and logistics? So it's funny. My, my brother works with a beer distributor. And he said, they said, well, they wouldn't come after us. We're beer. Everybody loves beer. Why would they attack us? Well, these guys are attacking hospitals. They're attacking food. They're attacking everything, right? So it's just money and it's no thought to it. I don't believe they're attacking food more than anyone else. I think they're attacking everyone. But I think food is one of those industries that is more susceptible to it. I mean, it's a perishable world we live in, right? Um, if we can't produce, if we can't label, we can't ship. And so because of that, we can't be down, you know, I tell people they, they can't be down for more than 24 hours. That's That's got to be the goal, right? You can maybe slide through with 24 hours of being down. But if you're more than that, then you're looking at 
you know, massive issues and you'll have issues with being down for 24 hours. So I think it's more just a fact of the industry and how perishable we deal with, right? And how we have to deliver every day to put food on, on the shelves. And then with respect to supply chain, absolutely. Supply chain can impact us. You know, everybody moved to just-in-time deliveries of stuff. Well, now if you have a just-in-time delivery and, and your supplier is impacted, you're impacted directly. So people are actually starting to look at supplier management of their, their supplier's IT systems. And that, I think, is going to be the next wave coming forward, and it's already started. And then even your customers getting hit, your customers may not be able to place orders with you because they've been hit. So it's just, it hits us always up and down. How do you engage with your competitors? Or is there, you know, some sort of association that works on this subject together? Because for sure, it feels like when one wins, everybody wins. So there's a movement in agriculture to treat an IT security issue like a quality event. And I'm very, absolutely very supportive of that. And some of the founders of your organization, are, Dennis, are, are leading that. They're saying, we have to treat it like a security event so that if I get hit with something, nobody else will. And it's kind of the raise all boats type analogy, right? I'm a huge believer in that. We're actively engaged in that. And I think we as a community need to come together and just keep sharing data and sharing. It's no longer being embarrassed that, oh, I got hacked because we have to realize the NSA has been hacked, right? So it's not, it can't have the negative impact that it has in the past. And if we get to that point, we'll share openly and we'll all be better off. And, and that's where I think that is going to end up. When you mentioned uh, being down, and there's probably no one size fits all answer, but let's say a company's down, what what is that typically look like? What, is, what does it mean to be down? So in a worst case scenario, being down means every PC, every server is encrypted and not able to function. So you're not able to take orders. You're not able to record time entries for your people that are your hourly people. You're not able to send or receive email. You're not able to do EDI orders. You may not have a contact list of your, your customers. You're not able to produce product. You're not able to label it. You're not able to QA it you're down. You're not able to ship it. You can't do an electronic bill of lighting or a bill of lighting. So kind of as dramatic as you can get. Yeah, no, no, that certainly is. And uh, given the level of uh, complexity of so much business these days, I, I mean, I, I came in at the end of the era where every, everything was by phone and an oral contract and that type of thing. And you'd send orders over to the cooler, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, and, and, and so, you know, that, that is probably one of my bigger struggling points is when we bring forward to this to people, some people will respond, well, I'll just go back to paper. We used to do it with paper. I'll go back to paper. We're not in a paper world anymore. People need to realize, and, and this is revolutionary for a lot of people, but people need to realize they're technology companies. They are dependent upon the technology. Technology makes them, allows them to do what they do in an efficient manner. And without the technology, they can't do it. Give the person a post-it note and have them create a label that Walmart will accept. It's not going to happen, right? Um, so... If people don't realize it, they will realize it if they're ever hit. I might be switching gears a little bit, but we talk a lot about talent and the kind of profile that we need to serve agriculture today and in the future. How is recruiting talent for your organization? And is there any unique expertise that is needed to serve agriculture? So we, we've been actually very fortunate. We have retention rates that, you know, I've, I've got people working for me for 15, 20 years. So we've been very fortunate that way. Um, we've been able to attract the talent just because of the team that we have and the teamwork. And also my people 
understand our mission of enabling, you know, the, the food industry and, and the fact that people have to eat. And so it's, it's a calling for us. So we've been very fortunate that way. When I look at it, I look at technology coming to ag and ag is going to become more and more dependent upon technology, not less. So at a basic level, you need to understand the urgency of it and that we also have to always be on to support the industry because you do have to ship, trucks always have to ship, right? Um, so, so that's kind of key. But ultimately, as we bring in more technology and, and you know, Dennis, what your center is doing, creating this, tech, uh, helping, you know, create this technology, all that's going to be need to be secure, but it also is going to need to be up and accessible and, and all those things. So I would say just the knowledge of the criticality and the importance of security is probably what I would say is most needed in ag. Well, and to pick up on what Candace talked about and wanted to visit with you about this as well, one of the themes that, you know, we're doing a statewide initiative with the California Secretary of Ag, Karen Ross, and it's specifically about kind of the next generation ag worker and what are the skills they are, are they going to need, what new skills are they going to need? And then, you know, what are the various educational workforce uh, players doing to help develop those, you know, because it's difficult enough to find uh, skilled workers for today, but much less tomorrow. So two questions uh, for you. Uh, how fast does technology change? And so what kind of uh, challenges maybe does that present for your organization? So you've got continuity in terms of your team, but, you know, if, as technology move, moves along, and I assume the, the bad guys keep up with that as well, what skill demand does that place on you that uh, may be ongoing, recurring, developing? And then what skills in order to implement technology should uh, folks in our industry be thinking about? Obviously, people know to have an IT department, but are more people going to have to be familiar with coding or just what are they going to need to learn across the board? Because it sounds like, I mean, I was very proud of myself the other day because we have this in-house university and I got something from a really big company, and but it wasn't really from the big company that I needed to reset my password. I was like, I just reset my password. So I sent it down to Irvine. And, and they said, nope, you're being fished, you know, as in PHIS. And I was very proud of myself. I mean, I was paying attention. So even folks like me, rather than hit reset, pat, I mean, we got to be thinking about this stuff, don't we? So what skills should everybody be thinking about other than paying attention in a, uh, you know, my in-house university courses? Yep, uh, absolutely. So foundationally, yes, the industry is always changing. Technology is always changing. You know, the move to the cloud was the latest, biggest one. And there'll be another one after that. So it's not a career you want to get into if you want to just go in and have your coffee every day and do the same thing every day. It's always going to change. User education, what you talked about, you know, you, and I applaud you for that, is, is going to be critical. We need to educate everybody. In, in technology, they call our users the weakest link of defense. Really, they should be the first line of defense, right, which is what you were there. So that should be encouraged. That education should be out there. Ultimately, you know, we have people working for us that don't have a college degree, have an associate, have a, up to a master's, et cetera. So it's a wide range. It's a great field. It is something where people can find their niche if they love the technology and love it. So I encourage people to look at it and to, and to engage in it. And another question that I have is specifically, how do you recruit customers or expand your business? Or is this something that people have a problem and then they react? So we get a lot of, of new clients through referrals, like any business. So that, that's a lot of it. Also, efforts like this is just getting trying to get our name out there so that people are, are aware of us because we like partnering with companies, right? So, um, and we talk in terms of client, not in terms of customer, because we really are together with them. So it's things like that. We don't, we don't do advertising. We do, we do marketing, obviously. 
but it's just an education process. So we're trying to put knowledge out there so that people can be better by what we're sharing. But then hopefully, obviously, we, we want to work with people. And then do your clients get some sort of report card or how do they know that what you're doing is working and effective? And you know, how do you communicate maybe some of those metrics that you track? Yep. So in clients that we, we heavily engage with, we do uh, quarterly business reviews. And again, so we, we have those standards that I referenced, the 250 plus standards. We'll also, we'll ultimately kind of let them know where they're at in that standard process. And we actually translate that to a red, yellow, green kind of stoplight. And so you can see security, you're this level, you know, backups, you're, you know, things like that. So we kind of communicate it that way so that it's a non-technical person can take it and understand it. That would be great because people like me were, I should have lived about a hundred years ago, technology and I do not get along very well. So, and that really is, that's so much of what I think in general, people get overwhelmed with data and this new kind of language. If you're used to talking about, you know, soil moisture content and all of a sudden you have to consider cybersecurity, you really do need a good partner to help um, with that translation. Yeah. And, and we're, we're finding that across the board. I mean, I've spoken to more boards than ever because of the security. So, you know, it's making it into the boardroom and, and things like that. So those are people who may not have that education. But it's that, that ability to boil it down to a something that you can take and communicate and understand. You know, I think I think that's an important comment, uh, you know, that you're in boardrooms in terms of critical issues. Because like Candace says, you know, at the end of the day, and I certainly go back to, I mean, I, I think it was a simpler time, but maybe it wasn't. I, I'm not going to go as all the way as far back as uh, Candace. Let's go back, dial back 100 years. But I think back to 30 years, you know, we just wanted to grow stuff, sell stuff, ship stuff, or you're talking about Soil and I and I still remember pretty vividly, you know, September two thousand six and in Salinas and, and the spinach issue and and I, as I always like to tell people, that shifted from food safety shifted from a department to a boardroom consideration. And likewise, you know, having been a mayor and you know we talk about labor shortages and regulatory pressures. You know, frankly, if you're not thinking about policy in a boardroom manner, you know, I would suggest folks do so. Likewise, I, you know, I think you're. You're making it abundantly clear this cyber issue. You know how many things can end up in a boardroom. We'd rather just do business, but a pretty clear signal from you: nobody's got that luxury on a go on a go forward basis. This this better be top of mind at the you know at the highest levels of organizations, whether it's a large company or even the family farm, where the highest level is you know the family kitchen table. Every everybody better be thinking thinking about this, whether you're running the family farm or you know you're running a major operation. That it, it belongs in the boardroom, whatever that version of it is. Absolutely. I believe that. I'll also I'll say, you know, I've mentioned it before, technology to me is is what makes us more competitive. And something like that needs to be secure. But the minute we say that technology is a competitive advantage, that absolutely needs to be in the boardroom, right? Because that's forward directional, that is changing what we can do, what we can deliver, should be reducing costs, you know, everything that the board should care about. So I, I 100% believe it should be in the boardroom. You know, as we kind of wrap up and I, you know, Candace, I'm, I'm trying to, I think we've, and Greg has been terrific. I mean, I think we've covered uh, a lot of nuts and bolts and big picture, you know, the big picture but, you know, Greg, I think in particular, given the, uh, the technical expertise and the technical necessity to understand your world as a Mary's ours. And in this case, I, you know, I'm glad you grew up on the farm. If they're still farming, even though you're not there, tell them to do cabbage in Wisconsin because they're supposed to do cabbage up there, not lettuce. But yeah, you, you learned it. OK, attaboy. Uh, but, you know, but you've got a great background and really 
this whole issue of ag tech, how do you blend those worlds? Uh, I mean, you, you know, you've got the perfect background. And so just as we kind of finish up, did we miss anything? Is there, are there some final points that, you know, like, Hey, and by the way, let me get to this or in closing, I really want to underscore or emphasize the importance of X, you know, what, what is that? Did we miss anything or what do we want to really double down on as kind of a, a takeaway? My, my takeaway on this that I, I would like people to remember is you are a technology company. You cannot exist without technology. Securing that environment has to be critical because you cannot run without technology at this point. I'll open it up. If anyone wants to speak to me, you know, please reach out and we can have the conversation. We can, we can talk and, and just kind of, you know, not, not selling, but just, just sharing. No, and you've always been uh, great about that personally. And, uh, but, and, 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 you know, we want to re-emphasize the importance of that uh, opportunity and the need to do that. Because we, you know, Candace and I have spent a lot of time thinking about what's good for our members. And we we just felt it was really important to get with you on a podcast because uh, it's just a, a critical issue. Candace, anything else? I, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to long for a hundred years ago like you, but, uh, you know, here here we are in the, in, in the present heading towards the future. Any final thoughts from you or questions for Greg? I don't think so. I just, I really love how you concluded about you are a technology company. It's so true. Like ag and technology are not exclusive to each other anymore. So thank you so much for sharing a super interesting topic and one that we don't typically cover. So it was great. No, thank, thank you guys for, for broadcasting this and for getting the word out there. It, it is critical to our, our community. So thank you. Greg, we, we appreciate you joining us. It's good to visit with you. I, I typically run into the hall, so good zooming with you. And uh, I'm sure I'll, I'll see you soon. And uh, Candice, let's come back and do it again uh, next week Another Voices of the Valley. I'm looking forward to it. Sounds good. Thanks, Candice. Thanks, Greg. Great to see you. And folks, we'll, uh, we'll be back uh, next week with another episode of Voices of the Valley. And thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Voices of the Valley podcast, brought to you today by Western Growers Association, supporting producers that grow the best medicine in the world. Find out more at WGA.com.